This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by The Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear Cindy Lauper on the stereo. So when you're in the Chicago area, drop by The Underground Retrocade for that authentic arcade experience. And bring your friends, because all of us, men, women, boys, and girls, just want to have fun at The Underground Retrocade. 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Hello, Mike. And hello, Carrington. And this this month, it's um, a little bit more specific. We're going to talk about vector games because it's no vector or... Ah, uh, yes, we will do that again. No, I like no vector. I like that as the name. Yes, we, we okay. did that last year, too. And I, and I dug it because I dig me some yeah. vector games. Now, I, I think we did a count... And there were something like 35 or 40 vector arcade games total, and not all of those are uh, have have been emulated or are maybe even in, in existence anymore. Some of those were quite rare, but uh, we definitely have enough to fill up all five weeks of this month, so you get a bonus vector show. Uh, and then um, probably for another couple of years, assuming that one of us doesn't kill the other by, by then. I'm going to rage quit. I, I would dead. put money that we don't even make it through November. <laughs> I bet we don't make it through this show. And goodbye, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I quit. Smart money was on not even getting to the feedback. That's right. Um, but should we get to the feedback? Well, we probably should before okay. we get to the game. We got a bunch, actually, from our Defender episode. And people, for the most part, were kind to us. <laughs> I really they was were. expecting the deluge of... Okay, here's what you got wrong. But I think because we were a bunch of whiny babies on the episode, <laughs> say, please be nice to us. We don't know what we're doing. Wah, wah, wah. People did take a lot of pity, like, which is not the way the internet normally reacts to showing uh, weakness. Well, so they, our, they go our behind our backs and go, did you hear those two little whiny kids? Come on. <laughs> yep. So people were generally nice. but um, So, yeah, we got a bunch of feedback. So I shall read some of it. Um, Jose wrote in to say, I enjoyed your Defender episode. Here's a link you missed that might be a good addition to your show notes. The Defender Project is a website by Alex Judd and it's all about the restoration of his Defender arcade cabinet. It's got lots of info and photos and it's an ongoing project so you can watch as it unfolds. And so he gave us a link and I shall pass it on into the show notes. So it's a link over to thedefenderproject.com. Nice easy one. Uh, And so I'll stick that in the show notes. And he was right. It was really cool to look through. So I have bookmarked it myself too. Uh, Lim Tai Chin wrote, uh, posted actually on our Facebook timeline. Hey, I'm actually getting uh, a little bit better at remembering where things are on this newly disorganized Facebook. And I can sort of get back to the timeline every now and then. Uh, and I did today. So he posted a picture of his, we talked about the, the papercade project. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lim Tai Chin posted a picture of his defender papercade as done by his little daughter. So very cool. Check that out. And and he got a Pac-Man motion pen. This is a pen that has Pac-Man and the ghosts and the ghosts will chase Pac-Man around inside the pen depending depending on how you hold it. The, the packaging says try me tilt this card to see ghosts chase Pac-Man. <laughs> really nice. I think is awesome. I agree. I agree with awesome. Uh Stavros wrote in although my notes which I just copy everything over to a text 
uh, file, and Autocorrect has changed his name to Starves. <laughs> so, <laughs> listener <course>. Starves, <laughs> sorry, Starves, wrote in to say, uh, Defender was also one of four games produced for the Entex Adventure Vision, a standalone system that accepted game cartridges. The system... Mm kind of looks like a tabletop arcade game like the kind you'd make for a main cap. Defender was the system's pack-in game, and other available games were Super Cobra, Turtles, and Space Force, which was basically an Asteroids clone. If you want to check out the games, the Entex Adventure Vision is supported by the MESS emulator, and he gave us a link over to that. I had never even heard of this thing before. Yeah, like, no, have you ever heard of Entex Adventure Vision? Not me. Nope. No, that's, that's news to Super me. Super cool. So it's a whole version of Defender that we missed in our in our versions of uh, when we said like you know how it's been ported to everything. It's even ported to things we had never heard of before. So, <laughs> I mean, really cool. Uh, listener Douglas wrote in to say good morning, Mike and Carrington. Uh, I was good listening morning, to <laughs> good morning, Douglas. I was listening to this week's podcast on the way to work, and sure enough, I had to pause it when I got here to send you a slight reprimand via email. Uh, the good news here is. We go. Uh, the good news is it's not about the facts and background of Defender. <laughs> there is one thing you guys always say about the more popular games that bothers me a bit. You always say people smarter than you could have said everything there is to say about a game more eloquently than you possibly could 100 times. Dirty little secret is, it doesn't matter. I was only four years old when the game was a crash hit. Most of these games were Atari 2600 or bust for me. I have played a lot of the big time games in arcades, but I was too young to know much um, other than if the game was fun. By the time I was playing them, the specs and history weren't even talked about. In fact, I don't think I played in any arcade cabinet until 1988 or so. I know I don't speak for the whole audience, but I bet a fair amount of people are like me, and I haven't heard all there is about these games. The point is, even if someone else has gone over these games, I bet a lot of your listeners haven't heard it. And even if we have, we'd rather hear what you think, because we like your show. So don't worry about repeating old information, and just do what you do. Thanks, Doug. And I like this. P.S. Eugene Jarvis, your game has too many buttons. (laughs) Nice letter, Doug. You're wrong, Doug. No, Doug's right. Uh, I've heard it on many other podcasts where they've <laughs> said that Doug is right, and I also am going to say I'm going to learn the lesson and oh, also well, say if, that Doug is right. <laughs> if the other podcasts say so, then it must be true. <laughs> yes. Uh, <clears throat> Citizen Robert McNally. Citizen now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he, he posted on our Facebook timeline. Uh, this goes back a few episodes. We were talking about Phoenix and the fact that we were having trouble figuring out, because we don't have the actual PCB in front of either one of us, what – what CPU was actually on this thing because we, we had some conflicting sources and it was a bit questionable. And he says, I was listening to your episode about the great game Phoenix and was interested in the confusion over what hardware actually was on the board. Here's an easy way to get some insight. Google something like Phoenix MAME source code. You will get a result like this. And he's got a link that will include the, uh, to the show notes, but basically it's the, the, the C code for uh, the MAME driver. And he says uh, you can read the dev notes as well uh, as see the CPU calls and the speed that MAME is supposed to emulate that CPU at. Uh, there will also be dev comments if any workarounds had to be done or if something was imperfect or approximated. So that's a really good tip. Thanks, Robert. That's Thanks, a great tip. I can't believe I never, I never thought of that before from listener Robert. <laughs> I'm digging my heels in. <laughs> okay. So we'll we'll have a link to the, the mamedev.org link that, that uh, Robert provided in the show notes. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's a great tip. And also – I'm shaking my head that I never thought to do that, but yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> well done. Uh, listener Kate wrote in to let us know that 
Refender, as she put it, Refender has been released. What is Refender? It's a remake of the Williams classic Defender, updated with all those modern quasi-3D graphic flourishes I know you both like so much. Perhaps that's why it was released just in time to miss your Defender episode by one day. <laughs> and then she gave us a link to that. So um, over at force9.co.uk, there is a link to Ref- Refender. I have difficulty saying that. Refender. Um, so if you want to play a version of Defender with graphics that I don't like, we'll have a link in the show notes. Refender sounds like a police shorthand for repeat offender. It does. Maybe that is. They keep they keep remaking these games. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're totally Refenders. Uh, citizen Mark Kirby wrote in on Facebook to say uh, he just shared a link uh, to YouTube. Okay, so back in 2000, 2001. Somebody uh, made this little animation. It's sort of a camera. It's 3D, probably um, AutoCAD or something like that, uh, or 3D Studio Max, of a camera flying around the inside of an arcade, and the game's lighting up, and it's got arcade sounds, and as they pass the games, those those the, volu- the, the sounds from those games comes up in volumes, and um, and in the meantime, Sticks uh, is playing in the background. It's That's what I'm cool talking movie. about cool little video um and i'm glad that he reminded me of that because i had forgotten about that and it's really an awesome thing so we'll anything with sticks that. is an awesome thing you know they're playing in toronto in like a month don't, don't they live in I'll... toronto <laughs> i mean no. they just like get, kind of walk down to the venue because i'm like i'm an old school sticks fan like they i kind of haven't listened to them since like the mr roboto years <laughs> and they've been touring since then so i think there's more of the band that they've more touring they've done since then than the time I liked them back, you know, in the day, as the kids say. So I, and they're probably playing at a casino or something. So I don't think it's my sort of concert, but I don't know. One of my favorite concerts ever was when I went to go see them for the Mr. Roboto tour. It was mind blowing. Just saying. And I, if I recall correctly, the song that's playing in this video is, um, is from Paradise Theater, which is kind of nice because it's thematic, you know, where we, we viewed these arcades as our paradise growing up. Exactly. And that was a good album. It was. I had it on vinyl. Old man, get off my lawn. <laughs> get off my turntable. Um, <laughs> so I think we have more feedback. Oh, here's one. Egan. Egan wrote in with another one of his great links to share. Uh, this time it was to a Kotaku article called One Bleep of a Video Game Coffee Table Book. I bleeped it because we, we have a clean tag. <laughs> <laughs> it's about this book called Every Day is Play, colon, I'm not going to bleep the cold. <laughs> a celebration of the video game. Uh, I think it was originally a Kickstarter, but I don't recall actually seeing it then. Anyway, it's over 300 pages long, and it's completely gorgeous. It's not just about classic arcade games, though. It also covers lots of stuff like home console things and handheld games and game-related art. But it does have a lot, I think, would be of interest to a classic arcade fan. It comes in two versions. There's a hardback book, which is 35 pounds plus shipping, and a deluxe boxed um something they call the console pack edition which is 120 pounds plus shipping so big money so i'll link to the the um one bleep of a video game coffee table book (laughs) right up on kotaku and i'll also link directly to the book's official site um the everyday is play site which is over at gamepaused.net in case you're interested in checking out and maybe even ordering it so i will throw those links in the show notes too couple of pieces of news before we, we move on to this week's game. Uh, someone put over on um, Hacker News at, at Y Combinator posted about the, this. Uh, it's the JavaScript Pac-Man, JS Pac-Man. Uh, it's posted actually on bitbucket.org. It's uh, remade in HTML5 and, C- and the CSS3 
So you can play it right in your browser. I think that's kind of cool. Um, more, I think, just kind of a proof of concept than anything else, but I thought it was neat. Um, Richie Knuckles' uh, <laughs> movie King of Arcades finally came out. You can watch that on Amazon.com. I grabbed uh, it from um, uh, Good Old Games, Has like sells movies now. Oh, yeah. So since I was on there anyway and buying a couple of games, I'm like, hey, look, they've got movies. I'll grab some movies. So I got have it you, Have you seen it yet? I have indeed. I grabbed it from there and I watched it. What do you think? I liked it. I like everything like this stuff. So. Yeah, it's it's not really a standout that much from most of the other arcade documentaries no. that you've seen, but but that's not a bad thing. Um, exactly. I thought so too. Um, yeah, but I, this, yeah, I dug it. I was. I, it cost like five bucks or something. It was a cheap movie, and I was like, I totally got my money's worth. Yep, it's like ninety-seven minutes. And it uh, focuses mainly on Richie and his arcade in, in New Jersey uh, and kind of how it closed and reopened and the, the trials and tribulations that he went through in his history as a, an arcade collector. But uh, And it's got a lot, all the familiar faces um, that you've seen in all the other documentaries, Walter Day and Billy Mitchell and Ben Gold and Todd Rogers. And uh, so, you know, for five bucks, pick it up, watch it. It's good. Exactly. And it's just a documentary and it's not trying to be as contentious as the uh – the, what's the one that King of Kong King of Kong made up all the <laughs> stuff so it's more just sort of like a straight ahead documentary I think they probably are like all documentaries making up some stuff but I think like I would recommend it to our listeners like if you like the kind of stuff we talk about then it's an hour and a half you're going to enjoy watching like what the heck it's got lots of pictures mute it and just watch for the arcade stuff <laughs> like there's visuals there you'll want to see it for because well, like, it's not like a big investment and totally worth watching and what's what's what I enjoyed particularly were the uh, the footage the shots of, of the uh, the warehouse raids that he would go on and the games that they would find and the warehouse owners saying, you know, yeah, there's a, a um, every chemical, every dangerous chemical known to man is probably in these machines in this building right now. And, um, you know, and um, him, the joy that, that Richie and his friends get when they find rare games and, and, and stuff that they've been looking for forever. So it's fun. I like it. He's Richie is kind of a loud mouth Guido, but he is in a good way. It's, it's not a bad thing at all. I agree. And I think that's about it for this week. Carrington, shall we talk about the game? Let's do it because it's a vector game and I dig me some vector game action. So this week we are talking about Armor Attack, which is Cinematronics. They made it in 1980. And I think Sega released it in Japan. I think it was licensed to them or something. I know it is a Cinematronics game now. Yeah, no, it's, it's yeah. Here in the States, it was Cinematronics and in Japan and I think Europe as well. It was a uh, um, licensed and produced by Sega. It is a described as a wireframe top-down shoot 'em up in which the player controls a small jeep, and you must destroy the many tanks and helicopters that populate the war-torn cityscape that represents the game's single-play area. As with many games of the of the day, such as Space Invaders and Battlezone, Armor Attack's graphics were simple monochrome with a color overlay added to the cabinet to give the impression of multicolor graphics. Mm-hmm. And you're right to say that it's uh, a small Jeep. Like one of the things that really jumped out at me for this game is the your avatar, the little Jeep, is so much tinier <laughs> than everything else. Like the there's the tanks, which would make sense that they'd be a lot larger than the, the Jeep, and they are. But then there's the helicopter. And since it's a top-down view and the helicopter is up in the sky, like closer to the point of view, it's essentially huge. <laughs> so it's just your little tiny Jeep and a massive helicopter. And that's kind of fun. And it's all also neat that it uses that overlay so if you if you're playing it as i did in mame and you forget as i did at first to turn on the overlay it's just like this wide open field with 
parts you can't drive into and you can't tell why. So you really do have to play it with the overlay, which was sort of like a green plastic thing that sticks over the screen. And then that tells you here are where the buildings are and you drive between them. And I, and you know, I gotta say, I dig it. I dig it hugely. And I think this is a game that I barely, barely ever played before. And I was like coming to it. It felt like I was playing it for the first time. Like there's so much about this game. I, I, either didn't know or I had forgotten. So I really enjoyed getting either acquainted or reacquainted with the game this week. Super, super fun. Yeah, I'd forgotten this. Um, I I played this game a few times at uh, one of the local bowling alleys actually had this, and it was in there for a while. Vector games are perfect for bowling alleys. Yeah, I think so, because the lighting and the smoke, at the time you could smoke in those places, and the noise, yeah. In fact, you probably had to smoke. Yeah, one of those things. Here are your shoes. Here are your smokes. <laughs> yep, I'll just uh, I'll fit really well. Uh, it looks like it was also licensed to Rockola for something. I'm not sure what. Um, just because they had a great name. So, here, <laughs> yeah. great name Rockola. Have our game. That's just like was a rule. Yeah. So if you if you like vector games, you're gonna like this one. There's not there's not a lot to dislike other than. Uh, it is even with the color overlay, it is kind of monochromatic. You definitely, if you're playing this on Mame, um, you're gonna want to mess with those uh, HLSL or HSLS, whatever it is, the, those filters to kind of give it that more fuzzy look. Because on you know, going back to that article that Jason Scott wrote many years ago about kind of the, the joy of these old monitors, it definitely makes a difference if you get sort of that fuzzy, hazy effect as, a, as opposed to the sharp, um, sharp jagged lines on on today's LCDs. I completely um, agree. And that's something we'll probably bring up the next four episodes too if we're gonna yeah. do all vector games because that's yep. something I mean, vector games are defined by their monitor, by that amazing vector monitor. And it just looks different when you play it as a raster emulated thing, the way we're going to be doing this week. Like when I play Gravatar on my actual Gravatar machine, it feels completely different than when I play it on MAME. Uh, just you, you can't truly emulate the 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 feeling of those monitors, the way it glows, the way the beams are coming right at your eyes. Like they just, <laughs> they have a, a sharpness that has a fuzzy glow around them. And I found, I did play with those filters, but it's hard to make it exact because there's so many little details. Like this is a game, well, it's just like you say, a wireframe game. There are some really nice little flourishes to the graphics. Like there's the individual tank treads that move on the tanks when they're driving. And you can see those. And like, that's great. Like the little details like this, because you would think a, a vector game just being made up of lines, like there's not going to have that kind of detail, but it does have some great little details in it that I that I really like. But it, it is missing something by not seeing it on a vector monitor. Well, and you can download um, pre-made filter files that people have messed with and gotten them just right. So if you don't want to mess with these things yourself, um, they're out there. You know, I think if you just search for the HLSL filter files for Mame, they'll pop right up, and you can you can. Uh, download the text as just text files and, and stick them in MAME and it'll work for you. Good tip, uh, Mr. McGinnis. <laughs> I'm just lazy. No, I like uh, it. Lazy I, appeals. <laughs> well, I, hey, I work hard to be this lazy man. <laughs> um, I, I, obviously, you are also going to need to make sure that you download the, the, the MAME uh, overlay artwork so that you can actually see yeah. the town. Otherwise, and it's the not game that color. Well, and what we call it a color overlay, it ain't that much color. It's <laughs> like, green it's, and it's yellow, green. I think. <laughs> like, yeah, it's basically green. It's very camo looking. Um, but the most important thing is you just need the overlay so you can see where the stuff is, you know, where to draw. <laughs> and that is important. Like, we'll, we'll get the gameplay later, but like, you spend a lot of this game hiding and running around buildings and hiding near walls and stuff. So you absolutely need the overlay to play. You, can, you cannot successfully play this game without it. It doesn't just add 
look like a graphics it's, it's which a are requirement. Nice. It's totally a requirement. Um, so speaking of the 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 monitor, paint a little word picture here. So uh, we've got the the we're looking down on the on the the maze essentially of the buildings that you're playing in. But then there's scores spread around the screen. So at the top left are the jeeps left. So how many jeeps you have left, and and basically those are your your avatars. And as you get uh, higher scores you can be awarded bonus jeeps uh top right corner is the number of credits left so that's sort of what's the big scores up there and and unlike um unlike a lot of games your actual scores are down so bottom left corner is where the the score is that we're playing this week when you play solo that's your solo score and bottom right has the team high score because you can play this simultaneous two players which is pretty sweet and then your current score for your game basically just shows up in the middle like as you lose machines as you lose jeeps your score will appear right right dead center so that's a very different layout than would become standard later on with typically high scores and your current score being at the top of the screen instead the game definitely it came out in 80 and it feels like a 1980 game feels almost like a 1970s game yeah it could easily have been 78 yeah as early as 78 Uh, Which isn't to say that it's bad. Like, it's a great game, but graphically, yes, it looks earlier and has things that are non-standard. Like, it's it's speaking a slightly different arcade language in its layout. The um, the motherboard, uh, the PCB, is was the same as every other uh, Cinematronic game. It was modified to accept uh, larger 4K 2732E PROMs. Uh, The original you say? (laughs) Well, the original Cinematronic games were were 2K ROMs. Um, so this is this is the first game that to use the larger ROMs. The program code is a total of 16K. Wow. Um, as and uh, arcade history po- points I can't out do that anything uh, in 16K when I go, like, <laughs> I have lost that ability completely. Yeah. Um, and the CPU was created using TTL chips. It didn't have a discrete IC as a, as its CPU, which I guess is all uh, all Cinematronics games are that way. Um, and oh and. <laughs> 10 buttons, no joystick. This is true. Yes. I mean, well, I guess we'll, we'll talk to the, about the counter later, but yes, buttons, buttons everywhere. Who's got the buttons, which makes it fun and easy to emulate. And if you've got a main setup and you don't even have a joystick yet, you can just like fire this up on your computer and use keyboard. Like you don't need anything to play this game. Well, here's the thing. So, so it's got double the number of buttons that last week's game does, but yes. be- because of the layouts, you've got, it's kind of like, you got uh, they're in sets of twos. You got uh, four buttons horizontally on the right, and four on the left, and two vertical ones in the middle there. And because of the layout of the buttons, for me anyway, it felt much. It was a much more natural layout than well, trying also to. Be, well, it's more buttons than Defender. It's less buttons per player. Defender uses five buttons to play, right. whereas here you've got four buttons to play. So it's it's actually fewer buttons. It's just that because two players can play at once, it's got to double everything up. Right, but because of the just the horizontal layout, I guess. Yeah, um, it well, felt it's more natural. Got, like asteroids controls is what it feels like. Like if yeah. you play asteroids, and you can play this. Except it doesn't have the inertia of asteroids. Your, your right. jeep doesn't so, just go sliding up. <laughs> yeah, this they work at least careful enough to to make sure that you know. Yes, we're on planet Earth here, and when you take your foot off the gas, the jeep stops. So uh, yeah, I, I found the controls to to be much a much more natural feel. And then Defender, even though you're doing the same thing where you kind of have to hold the button down to move forward and buttons to turn, it wasn't as confusing for me. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree because you're just like rotating and basically thrust and fire. Uh, Point-wise, 
it's a low well for me it's a very low scoring <laughs> game but it's also one of those games that is early so it gives fewer points like in a in a later game this would be something where if you shoot a tank you get 5000 points here you start by getting 20 points so if you shoot a tank and you get its body you get 20 points and you can also shoot the turret you get 30 points and bonus stuff um, and we should talk about the the way the bonus works that's kind of cool um, the helicopters with 100 points so the helicopters is the big one and it also advances that that bonus um if uh the bonus also advance like 10 points by when you fully destroy a tank i kind of like the fact that like when you shoot the the tank um it'll become like a bit of rubble but the turret still works and it's still dangerous and then it'll eventually blow up so i kind of i kind of like that like again graphically i like the little rubble tank and i like the fact that you kind of have to shoot things twice um and the bonus is kind of neat so like there's this bonus that keeps getting calculated and once the bonus gets to 50 then you get an extra jeep and then the bonus goes back to zero so i found like it's a game where you can if you work on these bonuses, you can get yourself a, like a lot of free Jeeps um, much more rapidly than you would with other games, I found. It was really willing to th- you know, throw extra Jeeps at you. Absolutely. And it makes you earn every point. Yep. Oh, um, yes. And it gets fast. For the, the very first level is kind of easy, like the first time you're playing these missions. But it ramps up to a pretty decent speed very quickly, I found. Yeah. It, it didn't feel as, as frantic or as rapid as a game like Defender, but it certainly did not lack for action. And again, this is another game that, especially for its time in 1980, felt very, uh, very polished, you know, like you were talking about um, shooting things multiple times and having them break down. And um, the whole thing just sort of felt like uh, came together nicely. Everything from the, you know, the green, uh, the olive green army, like overlay and the, the painting on the um, cabinet, which we'll t- which you'll talk about in just a minute. But, Everything about it came together nicely, and it felt like a, a, a complete polished game. And so I really had a good time playing it. Now, the sound, it, it, like, I, I really like the sound, but the sound is not nearly as good on MAME as it is on a real cabinet. Like, yeah. I kind of enjoyed the sound, but it's got the, the tank movement, the squeaky, squeaky, squeaky noise. Sounds like little squeaky stuff in MAME, but... W- it's designed to be in a cabinet and it's I think we've talked about this before like there's a couple of things that use like you know the authentic sound but the, if it's not generated the you're the same way you lose like the bass resonance like this game I, I watched a couple of videos of people playing and if it's an actual cabinet you get a real deep resonance to that tank moving and when I played it on MAME on my Mac it's like squeaky 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 it's like so it loses i mean i still like it i like the helicopter sounds i like the sound explosion like it's got good sound but it loses a lot in emulation like this is a game that again i think plays better like more viscerally enjoyable on an actual cabinet we're really losing the resonance that you get out of a real cab yeah i agree and but you know if you're if you're not in an area that has one of these and you're not going to pick one up. I know a place where you can get that authentic arcade experience. <laughs> Why, where, Carrington? I have no, I couldn't, can't imagine. Uh, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. Thank you for asking. <laughs> well, I'll head there right now. Yeah. I wish I could head to an arcade right now because, like you're saying, <laughs> there isn't one of these cabinets anywhere within 500 kilometers of me as far as I know. If yeah. I'm wrong, please write in and invite me over. <laughs> or just write in and he'll figure out where you are and come over anyway. <laughs> I will indeed. Yeah, the, the the sound, the graphics, everything about it's uh just kind of made for a great gameplay experience even on even in Mame, um, you know, obviously the more authentic you can make it feel, the better it's going to be. 
I I don't I didn't miss the the big bassy sounds and the actual vector monitor enough where I felt like I was I couldn't play this in MAME. So you know it's it's a definitely acceptable MAME play. I completely agree because I really like the controls and I found it was spot on and the gameplay was great. It does play wonderfully in MAME, but it, I kept being aware that I was missing the, you know, the icing on the cake, that the sound would be better on a real cabinet, that the visuals would be better on a real cabinet, totally playable and totally fun in name. But it, it, it's a game that unlike defender, which I really didn't feel like I was missing that much. Cause I have a decent control setup and buttons and the sound seemed really accurate. And the graphics looked exactly like they would have looked like on a real cab. And here I'm, these vector games just make me aware of what I'm missing by playing them in emulation. Mm-hmm. I agree. Now, this is a game where we've talked about some of the games in the past where they're kind of short or there's not a lot of replay value because once you've finished, you know, the eight levels or whatever. It's not like you could play this game for hours or anything. Yeah. It's, <laughs> what, whatever are you talking about, Carrington? Um, there's, there's definitely something. This is one of the games that's, that's you see in, in marathon uh, world record attempts. Um, and, well, Carrington, why don't you tell me about it? Well, I will. John Salter very recently played the longest game in history, breaking two world records at the same time on his run on arcade on Armor Attack. We actually talked about this, I think, last episode of the episode ago was very recently where we said, hey, that's going on right now. Go and check it out. And in fact, I think I had said I tuned in and looked at it and it looked like he was controlling it weird because his helicopter was just <laughs> spinning around. I didn't even realize he wasn't controlling the helicopter. I kind of forgot at the time how the game played. So, yeah, he played for 85 hours, 16 minutes and got a world record score of 2,211,990, which beat a world record set way back in 1982. Um, that's that That stood for a long time. 85 and, hours. Crazy. And how did his attempt in um, uh, this month go? Oh, did he make another attempt? Uh, I'm on RetroGamer.net. There's a, a link there. The 100-hour armor attack marathon underway. He it's did also, it again? Also, John Salter. I can't find the, the results, though. Uh, the stream is obviously Because he's just going to do it forever. <laughs> That's just going <laughs> to yeah. be a thing. John Salter, yeah. what's he doing right now? He's playing armor attack. He's breaking his own record. He's always playing armor attack. That's crazy. Okay, so I did not know that. I just knew about the 85-hour one. I did know the one I was reading about, um, uh, uh, Patrick Scott Patterson who's really a good account on Twitter. People, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, you should follow him. He tweets good things. Uh, and he was the one who, it was his announcement of John Salter's 85-hour run is what made me be aware of that and tune into it. Um, and I remember on, on uh, Patrick Scott Patterson's write-up, he had said, uh, John, uh, basically, how, how, do you, how do you do these things? How do you play a game for 85 hours? And he's saying he takes basically short power naps every eight to 12 hours, which costs him each time, like several hundred lives. Um, but you'll, in this kind of game, you can get such a surfeit of lives. You can then sort of take a nap and lose 400 of them and then start <laughs> playing again. And over the next eight hours, build up 400 more free, free Jeeps and then lose them with a power nap. So crazy, like just, just bonkers. Uh, here it is. And in fact, actually on patrickscottpatterson.com is the article talking about uh, the the most recent attempt began September 30th and lasted 81 hours and 27 minutes, uh, ending on the evening of October 3rd. And he says, the machine fought me the entire time, the entire 80 hours. Towards the end, my hands started to have muscle fatigue and like I couldn't grip with them. And then I started to hallucinate. 
The enemy helicopter started to look like a monster, pushing the enemy tanks out of the way in efforts to get to me. I decided to quit the game there. Yeah, I think I would too. That makes sense. Now, what was his score that time? Did he beat the um, record then? Or this is it still not, the one from his earlier play? Uh, this didn't. This is not listing the score for this attempt, so I right. assume so probably the, enough. the two point two million one probably stands the one he got for when he did the eighty five right. hour run, right? And see, and because you know, you think about eighty five hours of gameplay, and even at like a hundred, I guess you know, at a hundred points a time, it's going to take a long, long time to get up to that point. Um, even you know, because like you said, the game picks up pretty quickly, but because it's a hundred points, 200 points, 500 points at a time, you really have to work for these scores. Yeah, exactly. To get to 2 million, I'll tell you now, my score, slightly less than 2 million. I didn't, <laughs> didn't quite do it this week. I did Close slightly to. more than your slightly less. <laughs> I, I'm slightly not surprised. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about the cabinet, because it's actually a pretty cool sure. So like we were saying before, it's got 10 buttons. So when you when you look at the cabinet, if you know as little about this game as I did with my, he's controlling the helicopter weird comment, <laughs> then at first blush, it looks like a particularly complicated game because it's like there's, there's 10 buttons here. But like we said, it's really four buttons per player and plus a player one and a player two start button. So really it's a four button game, but there's 10 buttons on the control panel and only buttons. So it's nice. It's got the black white vector monitor that we talked about that as well. But there's a couple of neat things about about the cab that are that are worth mentioning and one of them is that player one is on the right side that's odd we're right side yeah player one is always on the left exactly so like i said like this is a game that comes early enough that it's in a sense speaking a, a different arcade language than than we get used to and so it hadn't really been i guess necessarily established that right side is player two and so this case no you play on the right of the game so that was kind of neat um the look of the cabinet is fairly straightforward very angular there was both an upright and a cocktail cabinet um both of them have some decent art though it's not super colorful the uh it's basically a yellow armor tack um, marquee but it does have a decent graphic you know yellow on the on the control panel and colorful buttons it's got a nice green and yellow um, marquee or sorry um, bezel art around the monitor it's got decent a little more than half height side art and i am a sucker for some nice side art uh which has like the explosions the battle one of the things i don't like about the cabinet though is the logo it just is the words basically armor attack in yellow and a kind of decent font but it's actually spelled armor well one they spell armor wrong but i forgive you americans for that <laughs> but it's armor dot 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 and then on the next line, dot, 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 attack. So <laughs> it's got not only the ellipsis wrong with too many dots, it has it twice in a row. <laughs> so I find that just sort of offended me from a punctuation mm. standpoint. So I did like that bit. Um, it's got an odd placement of the instructions. Like a lot of a lot of games will have instructions at a point list on, say, the bezel art or on the control panel. Here it's got up on the marquee. So it's up by the logo. It's such a weird, again, such a weird way to do the game. And um, the the cocktail cabinet is kind of nice because a lot of cocktail cabinets are, are particularly boring. They almost never have 
any art around the sidewalls. And this doesn't either, but at least it has the logo and some other graphic flourishes and the instructions all on the top of it. So it's not a totally dull um, top bezel. Um, so that's kind of cool. So I like it. Like it, it's a, it's a decent looking cabinet. It's very early. Um, so it's not anything about that's super exciting, but it's nice. And I think it's very appropriate for the game. So I dig it. Big, big thumbs, thumbs up for me. It's the kind of cab that also swings hugely in the cost of getting it. It seems that you can pick up a damaged or barely functional or very scratched up armor attack cabinet for next to nothing. Like people frequently will have have uh, websites where they say, okay, pick this up for $50, for $75, for $100. And working cabinets that are just like water damaged or ugly. And then there are the ones that are pristine, fully restored ones, and they go for crazy money, hundred like $1,500, like bonkers at the high end. So it's one of these games that has the one of the biggest ranges of cabinet costs that I've ever seen. So if you want to get one, you definitely want to hold out for a bargain and maybe get one that needs a bit of restoring because then it's at the low end of the cost. But huge, huge swings in values I saw online. Kind, kind of crazy, but I like it. Dig the cabinet very much. Yeah, and if you're the type of person who's going to collect games, this is definitely one I would recommend. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, I like it. And and as with most factory games, there's a lot of advantages to playing on a real cab. So there's like it's something that you can't quite get this experience in Maine. So it's worth having. I'd like it. Yep. I'd love to have one of these cabs. Well, Carrington, it's time. It's time to talk about my embarrassing score. <laughs> if I had a cabinet, I would have done better. No, the reality is I actually think I did okay this week. Now, I say that frequently, and then your score will have a, another digit, but I don't think we need to necessarily compare scores. We're just going to discuss scores. <laughs> so, Because um, I'm proud of my score this week, and screw you, whatever your score is, I think I did okay for me. I'm not great at this kind of control, but I was getting better at it because when I first started playing most of my scores – uh, were in the two and three thousands. And most times I, I played this week, I got scores in the two and three thousands. But occasionally I got better and I was getting better throughout the week. And while I'm not making a run for super high scores and not getting a like hundred thousand, I, my best game I did, my screenshot is 10,920. And that was a really good game for me. So I don't care what you have to say. I'm proud. So 10,920. And, uh, good how'd for you, do? you, you'd be proud of that score. <laughs> oh, you suck, man. You suck so bad. What was your score? Um, well, we can just move on. Oh, how don't much higher make, was it? Don't want to make you feel bad. No, make me feel bad. It's okay. Uh, 68,350. Oh, gosh. Darn it. <laughs> you wait, suck, wait. man. I like that reaction. Do that one more time, please. No, that's not our new theme song. <laughs> I, my 10,000 was good for me. <laughs> it well, was. Because I started off so You'd badly. Be the first two games I played, like the first two days I was playing, I never even hit 3,000. Like, I just went, uh. something will happen. You get a bunch of Jeeps, but then something will happen. It'll be like a cascade of loss. And it took me a while to, to learn some of the techniques. Like, it took me for ages, ages to realize that you do not want to be out in the open. Like, I spent a few days playing this game, and I'm always running around the maze, and I try to, like, fight from like that main central square. And you do not want to do that. You want to run around. You want to hide. You want to get right up against walls and sort of use the angles, not just on the tanks, but that's the big thing on the helicopter. Helicopter was just destroying me early. And it was only really today I realized the thing to do, it seems, is to get right up against a wall and have a building between you and the helicopter. So then the helicopter comes straight at you yep. and you can just fire, like just spam the fire button at the wall, essentially. And the helicopter will come over and... It'll stick out a bit where you can shoot it before it's able to shoot you. 
and then you could take out the helicopter. So that improved my game. It was only about three hours ago I got my high score. So I'm going to keep playing, and I will eventually beat your score. Is what I'm saying. Okay. That's well, you let me know when that happens. <laughs> uh, just happened. No. It didn't happen. <laughs> this this is a game that definitely uh, benefits from taking your time to learn some strategies early on and uh, and reinforcing those as you play into the game because you can just you can run around and try and shoot whatever. Uh, you can, and that that might get you through the first couple of levels like Carrington here. But if you want to get further like <laughs> I did, uh, you need to kind of sit back and, and learn and take the I, – I, I kid, I'm kidding about that. But I, I found that I like this game. Like some games, you know, I'll, I'll play them a few times, get a general idea of what we're talking about uh, so I can talk about semi-knowledgeably here on the show or at least fake it. Um, and other games um, I will just play for – Hours and hours and hours, and this was one where I think all of my free time this week pretty much was spent uh, playing Armor Attack. I, I love this game. I still uh, spent um, a lot of time this week playing desert golfing on my phone. I just hit I all that four thousand. <laughs> <laughs> so that also took away some some Armor Attack. Okay, time. okay. So we'll, we'll give you a handicap for that. It's then. like a Zen game. I just sit and I just <laughs> I can do anything else and also play desert golfing. <laughs> and it's weird. The last like. I'd say maybe 500 holes in desert golfing have been relatively just flat. It got super crazy challenging around hole 3000. And then it's just gone like, now you're just going to play through the deck. And it's just flat. And I just keep waiting for something else to happen. It's like just flat, 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 hole after hole after hundreds of holes. Anyway, I, I recommend desert golfing for people who haven't played it. Welcome to the Desert Golf Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's awesome. I'm so hooked on that stupid game. Anyway. Armor Attack was designed and programmed by Tim Skelly. Uh, he created a total of six vector games. Five of them were during his time at Cinematronics. Uh, the ca- yeah, the cabinet art was done by Rick Bryant. And it looks like this is not a game that was ported to much. Well, it was on the Vectrex. Yeah, it was on the GC Vectrex Vectrex released in 1982, and it, it showed up also as one of those little. LCD tabletop games. Yeah, by uh, uh, 1982 by, by Mattel. Uh, Mattel. Yeah, yeah. I, I found the manual for the Mattel game, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And the Vectrex one's interesting to mention because um, it's got that tall vertical oriented screen. So for the Armor Attack game on the Vectrex, they had to design a new maze. So oh, it actually okay. is, in a sense, a different game. Okay, interesting. The coolest thing about this is at the at the Armor Attack. Um, we haven't mentioned yet. I, I can't believe I almost forgot to say this. When you uh, First, start the game. There's that Morse code. Do you know what it says? It says don't register. It says don't register because I guess at the time they were reinstating the registration for the U.S. draft, and and that designer guy was against it. So it's neat because it has basically an anti-war slogan <laughs> at the start of a war game. Yeah, I, I like that. I think that's very cool. The yeah. um, the game, yeah, the, like we said, the game itself didn't show up and really anywhere else other than those two places. But I think the mechanic is a fairly common one where it's kind of hiding the maze and, and try and destroy the enemies. That it's are kind of like combat, you. except this has yeah. that helicopter. Right. And the helicopter so, adds a lot to this game. I like it. Yeah. Nothing to, nothing to dislike. I didn't find anything at all to dislike. Nope. about. Armor I Attack. completely agree. Yeah. Um, I, I highly, it's, it's, highly recommend yeah, it. Simple, simple graphics, but really well executed game. I like the sound. I like the graphics. I like the mechanic a lot. I really dig it. Yeah, there's the total A plus thumbs up. Whatever, I like this game a lot. Uh, all in color for a quarter. That that awesome blog yeah, that we talk about site. all the time. Great site has a nice has a nice write up on on Armor Attack and, and the history of the development of the game. Check that out. And um, if you if you have a subscription to Retro Gamer Magazine, which I guess is it's a British uh, magazine, it's actually printed on paper. But I think with your subs- subscription, you also get the PDFs. 
there's uh, an article. This is going back to uh, to um, Salter here for just a minute. Uh, an article in, in issue 131 that talks about kind of the marathon gamers in general. It interviews a bunch of these guys who who go as much for playtime as they do for score. So a uh, very interesting article to read. Uh, we'll have a link to where you can buy that back issue uh, on their on their webpage. Cool, excellent. Yep. And it's only uh, what. Uh, Four four pounds ninety nine pence, so that's like ninety dollars here in the United States, <laughs> roughly. <laughs> um, so uh, yes, we, this uh, I think was a grand start to our our vector or no vector is it? It's no vector, right? Officially? No vector. Okay, we should probably play the sound for next week's game, shouldn't we? I think. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, here you go. So, uh, yeah, a good start to No Vector, and uh, we will um, see you next week, everybody. Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain.